just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Welcome back. Hey everybody, how's it been? Fantastic. Another beautiful fall day, if I might say so. I would agree. So today we're going to bring you another episode. And today we're feeling like talking about the underworld and the, the scum of the galaxy. Scum, the gangs, the, the death sticks, you know. The exchange, <laughs> a wonderful group of people. And we kind of wanted to do this one because, at least from mine, I'm not sure about Philip, but I feel like this is an area of Star Wars that really doesn't get a whole lot of credit unless you go into the EU side of things. Like, yeah, the Clone Wars show shows kind of a few episodes of Coruscant's Underworld. You got the Solo movie. And you have some highlights of smugglers and the villainy types, but there's a lot of uh, nuance to a lot of those characters. It's kind of a, it's kind of more of an abstract part of Star Wars. Like, people know about it, but they don't know about it. Right. It's not often. It's not often that it's highlighted. It's not often that you really see the depths of it. Yeah. And you don't often hear about how much the underworld of Star Wars's galaxy has altered the course of history on vast scales. Yeah, well, I mean, look at Rogue One. Right. The um, When uh, Cassian was there with that guy who had information about um, Saul Guerrero and the Rebels, and they were, they were in the underworld, and the Stormtroopers showed up and were like, hey, where's your identification? Like, where else would you meet to talk about a rebellion against the Empire? Right. Not overworld. Right. You got to go to some pretty dark places. <laughs> well, and you've also got things like uh, when the smugglers during the Great Hyperspace War ran the blockade and got supplies to the Jedi. To the Jedi and to the Republic. Allowing Who were fighting them, the Mandalorians. Right. Allowing them to continue fighting and not be starved out. Mm -hmm. uh, they broke the blockade and basically turned the war just for profit. And a lot of those guys, whether or not they have ties to any crime syndicates, which we're we're not going to get into syndicates too much. We might hit them here and there because it's the underworld and they run it. You know, Crimson Dawn, The Huts, uh, some of the other... We may get into the exchange a little bit from the old yeah. Republic era, but not true syndicates. Um, but they kind of had a lot of influence as far as like black market weapons and uh Well, and protecting drugs. the underworld. Right, and, and they actually would... Um, at times, form they would form kind of these militant groups to be able to move whatever freight they were moving throughout the world. And they operated out of the underworld, not just because of the obscurity of it and the kind of the low, like the low key, keeping everything under wraps. Well, not just that. Like, for instance, during the Imperial Age, from the end of the third movie to the end of the sixth movie. <laughs> The underworld was pretty well insulated because of the power of, say, the Huts or Crimson Dawn. They were 
Well, first of all, they had armies of their own. Armies of mercenaries, armies of trained fighters. Well, and they had money to hire whoever they wanted. And Bounty even, hunters, even. Even the Empire was afraid of uh, the Huts and the crime syndicates. The Republic was, too, in their golden era. Oh, absolutely. That, I mean, the Huts have been around for thousands of years. Tens of thousands, yeah. They have their own area of space. <laughs> right, they control a sector of the galaxy. Exactly. Not but to they, mention they send people into several other sectors like the Unknown Regions. <laughs> and when you can hire a man like Boba Fett to take care of business, you have some influence. Because Boba really was very picky with who he did business with. Especially if their pockets weren't deep enough. Right. <laughs> well, he was picky on the money front, but he was also picky. And a lot of people don't realize that the the guild of bounty hunters had certain people they just would not go after. Even Boba Fett would refuse a job to hunt down, say, Darth Vader. Because they were aware of just how powerful he was. Well, not only that, but Vader was also one of his employers. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of taboo for bounty hunters or any organization to go against people they've worked for in the past. Right. Like, a not just a fear of retaliation, but it was like a code. It was a part of a code. Hey, I do business with them. And they would kind of, like, Boba made it known to other people who tried to go after the Empire. Like, I do business with them. You're going to hurt my bottom if you, line. If you hurt my employer in any way, I'm coming after you. And... As we saw in The Mandalorian, people knew Boba Fett. Oh, yeah. He's, he is by far one of my absolute favorite Star Wars characters ever since I was a kid. Just how, like, mysterious he was. Like, he, did, he didn't have very many lines, and he was just this badass guy. But anyways, we're getting a little off topic. But <coughs> the underworld, at least the more prominent areas that we know of, be it from EU or canon... Uh, the main one being Coruscant. Yeah, we should probably talk about the physical locations known as underworlds. Yes. For instance, on Coruscant, anything below the surface level of the mega city that made up the entire planet, which was built on layers and layers and layers of older buildings. Yep. As you go farther down in the age of the buildings, as you get closer to the surface of, of Coruscant... It's more and more... Uh, slummy. Slummy. It's not well kept. There's structural problems. There are levels of Coruscant that are entirely uh, liable to fall in on themselves because they haven't been touched in 5,000 years. And so on that aspect, you actually have physical locations in the galaxy. Coruscant, Corellia has some. Narshada. Narshada. Well, Narshada as a whole, be, not just being in hut space, but I feel like as a whole, the whole planet is pretty much an underworld. Well, it's basically controlled by the underworld, so even the top echelon is underworld it's space. Controlled by, more controlled by like the aristocracies of the planet. Yeah, if but... You, if you had money... Yeah, but those people are got their money from the underworld. In in a way, um, a lot of them got their money from other planets, but they moved there because they open up casinos, gambling arenas, they open up brothels, they open up slave trades. Oh, yeah. And who, was the Republic going to stop them? No, because they're in hut space. Because they can't. They the can't. Republic doesn't have the power to sway over hut space. And that's kind of what, <laughs> what, what, in my mind, would make it an underworld. But... But there's lots of actual physical locations in the galaxy where you just know going into it... This is going to be underworld space. The The rules of the Republic is not going to work here. 
No. And that's why uh, I just remember from the Clone Wars when Plo Koon and Ahsoka went to go find Orasing and Boba Fett. And they, their Plo Koon was like, well, we got to go to the underworld. And Ahsoka was like, what's that? And Plo Koon was like, well, you'll find out. Just be careful. Just watch <laughs> your back. You, you, you'll find out. Or uh, when Obi-Wan and Anakin chase Zam Wassell in Attack of the Clones movie. Right. And, they, and Obi-Wan's at the bar drinking Java stick. Yeah. That too though, that that's another thing. Where most of the drug trade, be it death sticks, spice spice was a, a huge spice goes back thousands of years to the old Republic era. Death oh, sticks yeah. was more of a newer one. Well it was a newer iteration of, of spice. And more refined. But if you if you were caught with these things, I mean it was prison time, fines and that's why they went to the underworld to do these dealings, like, excuse me, because <laughs> um, I remember there was a mission in KOTOR, the game, where this uh, Rodian was on the Ebon Hawk, and he's like, oh, there's there's a package on your ship, and you're like, what? Yeah, I need the package. So you go to your ship, and you get the spice, you give it to him, and then, because you're flying the Ebon Hawk, and they think you're Davit Kang, who is the pretty much the leader of like underworld at that point yeah in that region on terrace yeah in that region and i just thought it was cool because you're dealing with all these like scummy drug dealer weapons dealer guys in these really obscure parts of the planet that take place in underworlds or in cantinas or in well and and truly away from the overworld from where the republic or at that point the sith would have any say Yep. And also on Corellia in the solo movie, you know, I, I, I thought it was cool. That was the actual first, I feel like the first physical depiction of what an underworld is. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely. crowded, and, cluttered. And in- incredibly well done. Very reminiscent of the, of the megacities from Dread or... The Hive Cities, the lower levels of the Hive Cities from Warhammer 40k. Mass Effect has some of them as well. (laughs) Mass Effect. There's a lot of these depictions, and I think that they got it really, really, really right in Solo. It's very, it's not glamorous. It's not, you know, there's there's not enough food to go around. Yeah, and it's just really close. Like, everything's a one-way alleyway. The, the maintenance droids are picking up garbage. There's steam vents, when refrigeration the units. Work. Yeah, well, that too. But well, you and know, power you... generation for the upper levels because, mm-hmm. as far as the upper levels are concerned, you're just empty space in the underworld because well, we don't really care as long as we can yeah. produce what we need. And I think it's cool because that's that's in my mind what kind of drove Han. You know, he boosted speeders. He was doing quick weapons deals. He was planning on, and he did join the Empire because he's like, well, I want to get out of here. Well, and he was he was moving uh, fuel at that point because it was pretty expensive and rare, hard to get your hands on. There was a shortage at that time in the galaxy. The rise uh, of the Empire, because the Empire was basically, you know, <laughs> curing all the fuel from everywhere. I really wish they had gone into more detail on why the fuel shortages were there in that movie, but that's another episode for another day, and it's more politics than Star Wars really has room for. I think it kind of, it doesn't really say, but it shows it, which I appreciate about films when they show things, 
Right. Instead subtle, of saying subtle things. Uh, seven, eight, and nine, where they feel like they have to voice everything. Ray's so great. Ray's so great. Nah, Ray's so great. It's just, look, when you watch a movie, emotions and actions speak louder than words. That's right. not That's not the case for everything in life. But when it comes to a film, I don't want to see somebody voicing what they're doing. I want to see and experience and feel that for myself. Right. So when we see Han in the underworld struggling with life. They did a really good job of portraying that. He had a hard time getting food. You could tell Mm -hmm. his clothes were pretty ratty. You could tell he was hard up. And in uh, Attack of the Clones, when Anakin and Obi-Wan were looking for Zam Wassell in the cantina, the only lines you hear is, you know, you want to buy some death sticks? And then he does the mind trick. Obi-Wan does the mind trick. Beyond that... It's just, it's pictures. It's all there. Showing, you know, looks like slaves showing drugs, drunkards, partiers, um, Twi'lek dancers. Just innocent bystanders. Yeah. And also in episode four, A New Hope, the cantina in Mos Eisley. Yeah, but that's hut space and that's that's a whole other realm of of the underworld. It's still... Because every world's the underworld. It's still considered scummy though. Like, that's where the people of the underworld would hang out. Right. They wouldn't be... Granted, it's Tatooine, so it's not like they have these echelons and buildings of, you know, billions of people with money, but... But the Solo movie also made it really, really obvious that this was their life because it wasn't just what they were doing. You know, they had love interests. They had, you know, they who was dating who... There was other competing groups. It looked really authentic. It looked like what you would expect the underworld to look like. And I don't think they did a really good job of that in the uh, the chase across Coruscant when Anakin and Obi-Wan are chasing the bounty hunters. I think they did. I, I don't think they did a good enough job. It was still pretty glamorous looking. It should have been a little more slummy. But it is... Cor- I mean... It's the lower levels of Coruscant. That, but still, you get to see. My thing is, you, now, get, granted, to, you get to see the, the the species involved in it. It's the lower levels. It's not the undercity. You can still kind of see the sky from there, so it's going to be higher <laughs> up. But but it, we get we get to see the social aspect, the way people dressed, the type of alien species that were there are typically species, and that, that would come have probably from. been lower to mid middle class. In that area, it wouldn't have been high upper class. It wouldn't have been true middle class. And it wouldn't have been poverty stricken. So there is an excuse for them having a little nicer area. But there again, they didn't do a great job of portraying the true underworld in the films. Other than Solo. In Nar too, you get to see it. Um, In the SWOTOR game, Star Wars The Old Republic. Oh, yes. Like, you go to Nar and you have to do some missions in the underworld, and it's the same thing. If you're in the overworld, there's there's affluence everywhere. There's expensive buildings. and expensive buildings, expensive drinks. Yep, and then once you get to these missions in the underworld, you start to see the steam vents, the... The the bazaars where people are trading and selling, you see a lot of homelessness, people living in tents, people selling drugs. Quite a bit of slavery as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, because the the Twi'leks were brought to Narshada where there was there was no emancipation proclamation in place on Narshada because it's hut space. 
Well, and there was never a emancipation of the Twi'leks uh, as long as the Huts controlled anything. Well, the Twi'leks as a whole, I mean, their whole planet on Ryloth is, as soon as they, they weren't, they tried to fight, but they didn't have they were the very in them to win. They were very unlucky with their with the the location of their planet being where it was. It wasn't in republic space. It wasn't easily defended. It wasn't And then there's the fact that the Twi'leks themselves are not a warlike people generally. No. I mean There I'm... are some notable Twi'leks who were warriors, but on the plus side they're mostly pacifist. Yes. But I think the the great part is when you when you read some of the novel the novelization of Star Wars, be it graphic novels, um, hardcover books, even picture books, who knows? It brings to light. It kind of makes you, at least for me, it makes me feel like there's more than just Jedi fighting Sith, rebels fighting the Empire, you know, because there is. Because it's it's a societal norm to have different tiers of a society. Right. You have to have the poverished, and then there's lower classes, middle classes, upper classes. Well, and I think they did a really good job of showing the nuance of slavery, as you can see in history. Like, it's not always just the big bad coming in and stealing people. There are episodes in, I believe it's the Clone Wars... (laughs) <laughs> where, and I could be wrong. I've I've read and watched so much Star Wars, and but there are entire factions of the Twi'lek race who are Twi'leks, but are willingly selling other Twi'leks into slavery, knowing that that's their way to make enough money to protect themselves from it. Well, and you have uh, slaver races, the Deveronians, the the devilish. Oh yeah, they they're huge slavers. Their like, their entire race is basically slave hunters. Yep, yep. And on in Jabba's palace on Tatooine, that's a place where you get to see a lot of different slaving species. Yeah, or or slave enslaved species as well. Oh yeah, like you have the Ortolans, the little blue elephants. You have Twi'leks. You have um, Rodians. Like. And it's just, it's one of those things that it's, like I said, it's nice to see that they were trying to depict more than just Jedi, Sith, good versus bad. They were trying to depict... A universe. An entire universe with the social hierarchy that exists. That would exist anywhere given sentient life forms. Right. That's just the natural way sentient life works. Especially in humans. Well, there's hierarchies in, in everything, but... Be it humanoid, alien, or humans themselves. Right. But that being said, I think we need to get into the Old Republic era a little bit about the exchange. Because that's probably the most impressive underworld era in Star Wars history. The Becks and the Volkers. Just the exchange in general. (laughs) No, I I really liked in the Old Republic when you had the Becks uh, and the Volkers, the swoop gangs. Because that under again another underworld on Terrace that, that I'm surprised we missed, but we're here talking yeah, about it now. Yeah, we're here. Um, where you have these two gangs who are the prominent gangs in the underworld of Terrace, and if you work for the Bex, you got to go way into the underworld where the rat ghouls are, and you see people living in tents and like, and 
There are people in this the, this level of the underworld on Coruscant, for example, who have never seen the sky. No. And if they have, it's completely blacked out like on Terrace. Right. Just complete nothingness because it's so far from the surface, there's no light pollution. Right. The light they have is from fire like or whatever cheap light well, they have. And a lot of them, just because of the levels built above them of solid... Uh, of solid it's not plasteel and durasteel. Durasteel, thank you. In Star Wars, the the levels of durasteel are so th- you know so thick and so webbed above one another that they physically cannot look up and see sky. They see the bottom of buildings, and you for miles. You really get to experience it when, at least in Kotor, when you come down, and the minute you leave the elevator shaft. There's people coming to you trying to extort you. Hey, that elevator costs money. And you can see they're wearing tattered clothes. They look, you know, kind of gaudy. They're they're just malnourished. Desperate. desperate. And they're like, hey, if you don't give us these credits, we're going to kill you and take them. And obviously, Revan, not knowing he's Revan at the time, is just like, go away from me. Be gone. Or you can give him credits if you want light side points. But who does that? Why would you get light side points as <laughs> Revan? But... So, the exchange is kind of a big deal in my mind, because it's kind of the most powerful the Underworld has ever been in Star Wars. In the Old Republic era, the whole of the Underworld is not united, but has a single flow. Well, they're they're factions, but, I mean, as with any organization, there's going to be branches. Right, but it's kind of like... Um, when a major political. It, it would be like... If you compare it to Disney, they have a lot of different factions. Like, they own Fox, they own Star Wars, they own Lucasfilms, LucasArts, they own Marvel, they own all these different things, but they're all under the network of Disney. And likewise, the exchange is the network. They're the big group. But there's countless factions inside of it. But the really cool thing about the Old Republic and SWOTOR is... The exchange is just the market of yeah. the underworld. Mm-hmm. And it's so mainstream that even on Coruscant in the upper levels, you can access the exchange. Be caref- carefully, though. Carefully, but you can. You, you wouldn't want to do it openly. But as long as you don't make a big deal out of it, most politicians, most police forces are just going to leave you alone because it's not worth the hassle. Well, and in those <coughs> parts of planets, I mean, even the police were easy to be bought with a few hundred credit chips. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and some of those well, some and, of those upper aristocratic people would not hesitate. Some of them had their own private police and security force. Right. And some of those aristocrats, uh, like the dock owners, mm-hmm. would actively participate in the exchange because it was incredibly lucrative to allow a ship with a questionable roster onto the planet because they'd give you 10,000 credits to let them, you know, let them park their ship. Well, Alderaan, too. Oh, yeah. You have the you have the houses. Yeah, and some of the smaller houses who are trying to make their way to be bigger houses of Alderaan House are more than willing to be corrupt about how they get there. They just want more power. Yep. I know Ulgo and Thule. Controversial, some... controversial point here, but uh, Alderaan being blown up was a good thing. 
I, you know what? I'm actually going to maybe disagree with you on that one. And no. You, and I'll tell you why. So a lot of the funding for the rebellion came from most of the houses of Alderaan. Exactly. Those terrorists needed to go. <laughs> <laughs> Not just that, but even then, they uh, some of them funded separatists. Oh, absolutely. Some of them funded the empire. Some of them funded the republic. But the Empire, I feel like in the beginning of episode four, when Princess Leia is brought to Grand Moff Tarkin on the Death Star, they're about to blow up Alderaan. I think in the grand scheme of things, yes, it was good. We can debate this later. Let's leave it on a cliffhanger farm. We can come back to it. That should make a good episode. Okay, we can do that for sure. All right. Sorry, guys. We'll, we'll leave it for another episode. <laughs> a whole episode on blowing up Alderaan just by itself. Well, not just Alderaan. All the planets the Death Star blew up. Was it good or bad for the galaxy? We will never I, I know. I think it was a net positive. <laughs> um, but Financially negative because they lost oh, all the money. Oh, yeah. But all that aside. But that aside, the exchange was incredible. It was a criminal... Not a criminal syndicate, but it was like... It was as if crime lords and crime bosses across the galaxy realized that when they just work together, they don't have to work together well. But if they all work towards the same aim, neither the Sith Empire nor the Old Republic could stand up against them. Well, and as long as the flow of money continues and business is being done, I think I think the some of the leaders of the exchange were able to put aside their differences and say, you know what, yeah... You might have killed six of my guys because they were in your territory, but, but you know you, you paid you paid your dues. Have you paid your dues, Jack? <laughs> yes, sir. The check is in the mail. Okay, you know, like that. It's it makes it easier for business to continue, even though you dislike somebody or might have a discrepancy with the way they do business. Because at the end of the day, the exchange was for what? It was for profit. For profit. Well, and and that being said. It probably helped that they had common enemies. Oh, All absolutely. The, because senators they, being the main... Well, senators and Sith Lords at that time. Had it, they... It wouldn't have been Sith Lords prior to the Battle of Yavin. Because Plagueis, right. Plagueis, even Darth Bane, were all using the exchange in some way to keep not only contacts, but... Continue grow wealth. Exactly. But I'm talking about in the, the era of the Sith Funding Empire. Funding a clone army, anybody? I'm talking about in the era of the Sith Empire, like during SWOTOR, when the Sith Empire, had they turned to... Had the exchange not existed, had all of the crime syndicates of the time been doing their own thing and fighting amongst themselves, the Empire and the Republic could have easily wiped them out. They were incredibly militant at that they point. They couldn't wipe them out. Oh, they could have. They didn't know who the leaders were. The only, oh. the only person who could possibly know who the leaders of the exchange were, were two people. Vitiate. Yeah. And Satil Shan. Yes. But they could have they could have gone to... Well, I guess Theron Shan, her, her uh, son, because he was kind of in league with the exchange. He was a cyber... Um, a hacker. Not a cyborg, but yeah, he had, a, uh, he had an implant where he could go into the underworld and the exchange and he had contacts... Everywhere. Well, he could link he was a directly spy. with computer systems. Yeah, he was he was one of the he, most renowned Republic spies of the Old Republic. Right. 
Um, but that being said, had the, the Empire gone after the exchange in their space, I don't think they need to know who the leaders are. I think you kill enough of the peons and lieutenants and you're going to kill the business. And the exchange runs the underworld because of the obscurity. Right. Because it's so remote and it's so far away from what the galaxy well, would consider normal civilization. Well, and because the, ex- the leaders of the exchange were so unknown... They could lead several different factions, each of them. So one person on the the council or the the board of the exchange, one of the the leaders of the exchange could lead two or three or four factions that are all enemies with each other, and nobody would know that they're leading them all because nobody knows who they are. And that's kind of the that was a, a big benefit to the exchange, at least the leaders, because. Like I said, as long as they could pay their dues and keep money flowing and keep product moving, be it spice, death sticks, weapons, people, people, animals, hunting, no one cared. Oh yeah. And well, the Sith at the time of the Old Republic had more to worry about than Well, and they didn't just the sell exchange. illegal stuff. They also transported legal stuff like food supplies. Because in the lower levels of Coruscant where there is no food, Food is incredibly valuable. And if you can buy food on Naboo that produces in abundance, and you can ship it into Coruscant without paying for the dock fees or the import taxes, and you can drop it off in the lower levels where it's worth ten times what you paid for it, that's a good investment. It's a legal substance, but the way they're selling it's illegal. So you could get food, you could get clothes, you could get all kinds of stuff on the exchange. Not just illegal stuff. Part of it, honestly, is how some of the rebellion was funded. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, where where were the rebels able to get... Well, not just how they were funded, but also how they were armed and armored. Yeah, the AC-180 blasters, Yep, those weren't on the market because the Empire owned the weapons market where the E-11 blasters and the... um, uh, what were the, the blaster pistols? Right. Um, they were able to get those basically because the exchange went to the, Either that per, or the they, manufacturers in a lot of cases and said, hey, if you put these together on the down low, we'll pay you good money. And you had and funding. In, and in other cases, the, <laughs> the underworld syndicates would just straight up find a world that has the right resources and create a factory from scratch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rebellion had the funding to begin with because you have Gar, who was a super affluent. You have Mon Mothma, super oh, yeah. affluent. You have Bail Organa. And Leia. Extremely affluent. Bail Organa, yeah. Bail Organa, Galen Merrick. Not just affluent. Bail Organa is ridiculously wealthy. Oh my gosh. He's... One of the richest houses of Alderaan, which happens to be one of the richest planets in the galaxy. Yeah, which is why it was dumb and the Empire blew it up. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wait, we're supposed to leave that one alone. Wait, that depends. That depends. <laughs> it may not be dumb. Depends oh, really? how they stored their wealth. Well, if it was in the exchange, if they're screwed. If it was in the exchange, they're screwed. <laughs> Maybe that's but why if it was an Tarkin in... didn't care. But if 90% of their wealth was in an Imperial bank, they just seized the assets. They just seized the, the credits. The assets are gone, but the credits aren't. Yeah, but I feel like Alderanians were smarter than that, given the thousands of years that they've been aristocratic. Well, and you don't make money from not having money. 
well, you don't make money from having it in a bank. Right. And that be it for anything. I mean, don't take financial advice from me, but if I was in the Star Wars universe, I'd be keeping my credit chips in a chest somewhere in my house. Oh, I disagree. And then I'd have it ray shielded. Disagree. I would never have a credit in my pocket in the Star Wars universe. I didn't say in my pocket. I would never have a credit in my possession. It wouldn't be in my possession. It'd be in a chest. It wouldn't even be in a chest. A chest made of Beskar. How about that? My credits would be in somebody else's hand who just handed me a bar of Beskar or a pound of spice <laughs> or... It doesn't matter what. I'm going to be floating around in a spaceship. I'm not living on a planet. Oh, that's the funny thing. We've come to seize your assets. You haven't paid your bills. All I got's this uh, chest. What's in it? I can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but I'm going to be floating around in hut space going, all right, all right, all right. I can go ahead and sell this for double what I paid. I'll just go hop over to the Republic area or the Empire area or... The Sith Empire. It doesn't matter which faction, outer which timeline. You I'd just go outer jump. Rim. Yeah, but there's not as much money in the Outer Rim. There's a lot more risk by taking it to How the How do you know there's worlds. not a lot of money in the Outer Rim? Well, I mean for the general public. There's a lot more risk in taking stuff to the core, wor- core worlds. But if you can get it onto Coruscant, you're going to sell it for a hefty profit. Doesn't matter what it Coruscant is. Coruscant is the last place I would want to do business in the underworld. Oh, it's absolutely the last place I'd want to, but it's also going to be the place where you fetch the highest price because nobody wants to. Well, given the pop, I believe the population of Coruscant is something trillion. Ten trillion. Ten. I want to say it's ten, but I think it's a little higher than that. Well, um, but that good enough for what it is. It's a load more than we have here, and. That being said, Coruscant is incredibly wealthy for the average person because the average person on Coruscant has to be able to pay for the Coruscant lifestyle. Now, I'm not talking about the underworld at this point. I'm talking about the middle and up. I have here an essential Star Wars atlas written by Daniel Wallace and Jason Fry. Just a book I thought was curious, you know. It gives you planets, it gives you the statistics, location, it talks about the different lanes, it talks about the galaxy as a whole. But anyways, the population of Coruscant is one trillion. Really? That low? That low? I mean, that's a lot of people. Think about it. We have seven billion on this Earth. Right. But this Earth isn't wrapped in a city that's 50 stories deep. And not city stories. But I'm, that's I'm talking my, that's my point. How, 50 levels of buildings deep. That's my point. Of a trillion, you're trying to cram a trillion people into this planet that's not very big. It's only, the diameter is 12,240 kilometers. That's not I'm very big. I'm sorry, I don't big. speak. I don't speak Europe. <laughs> <laughs> For our European listeners out there. Um, there are planets that are bigger. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of why the underworld takes precedence because you're trying to put all these people in it and it's an urban, it's more of an urban style planet. Right. It's one of the core worlds of the Republic. Right. It's, it's a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to make it sound like I don't think that's a ton of people. I just thought it would have been more. 
Well, in in the grand scheme of other planets with species, a trillion, I mean, it's one of the most populated planets. Right. In the Star Wars galaxy. Um, Kamino and by itself only has about a million. Right. Well, that depends. Do you include the clones in that count? Because the Kaminoans don't. Kaminoans don't believe clones are people. The, well, I mean, that's because they're not. They might be beings. They're, people. they're not they're sentient. People. Clones aren't sentient? Sentience means the ability to think for themselves. I would argue that unmodified clones Boba Fett would be. was probably the only sentient clone. He was unmodified. Exactly. And I'm sure the Kaminoans have made other unmodified clones. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure the affluent of the galaxy went to Kamino and said, Hey, here's our kid's DNA. The kid died. We'd like him... We'd We'd like him back. Look what Vader did to Starkiller. Oh, yeah. He made a bunch of clones of... Tens of thousands of clones. One of the most powerful Jedi slash Sith in Star Wars history. Just, just <laughs> yeah. Raw power, absolutely outrageous. But um, as far as the underworld is concerned, I don't think... I don't think it's a matter of the size of the planet that determines the underworld. No. It's the money. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And if you could find the right products for the underworld to sell, Alderaan would be a wonderful place to go. I don't think so. Oh, yeah. Not just the terrain. It's a mountainous, rugged area. No, I just mean as one guy. Oh, okay. I just mean dropping off a payload. If you can find the right stuff to sell to the right people on Alderaan, it would be incredibly lucrative. Because you could ask whatever price you want because they've got the money. Well, and no one would ask any questions because... It's Alderaan. Alderaan. There's lots of money. So someone, you know, you go to sell... Well, there's lots of money and there's no crime. If you go to sell a Durasteel chest of death sticks and spice, one Durasteel chest on Alderaan, they're not going to think anything of it. Right. Versus if you have an entire cargo freight full of it, then people might start to be like, but is Alderaan, are the officials on Alderaan even looking for it? How complacent are the officials on Alderaan? I don't think they're complacent because the officials were owned by the houses. Right, right. But The different houses of Alderaan are the ones who controlled the right, but policing. Think about it this way. If you go to a police force in a major city with a major crime problem, that would be like going to Coruscant. The police there are going to be very... Uh, Proactive. Because they know that it's their butt on the line if they get it wrong. Yeah. But if you go to a wealthy... Narshada. Suburb. Well, if you go on Earth... <laughs> if you go on Earth to a wealthy suburb where the average house costs a million dollars and the average person there makes 200000 a year, there's no crime. The cops don't even show up. They, they don't even patrol. Why? No. Because there's no crime. So that would be like going to... Alderaan. There's no crime. They don't need to patrol. They just need to be there for when something happens. Yeah. So are and they like even going to bother checking your freighter? But even that's that kind of leads me to this, is that each house, not only did they have their own military and security force. They had their own police. They, they had were their, their governing exactly, force. Because they kind of, and Alderaan's really cool in that regard, because they kind of set up their own fiefdoms. Regions. Like Oh, this is the House Thule region. This is the House Organa region. This is the yeah, House Ulgo. Instead of countries, they have house regions. Yeah. And they are essentially countries. They're pretty much autonomous. There is some flip-flop between lands, whether it's 
by buying land from it's, your it's, neighbor. It's like or... the aristocracies of, of England. Yeah, yeah, a lot like it. Or oh, all of the, Europe, for that matter. The estates, I guess you could call it. And yeah, estate the, makes more sense. They they had a king, but the lords had lands, and they would trade them amongst themselves. And you know, this one's running out of money, so he may sell off this chunk of land to this other one, and it's going to flex. But for the most part, this city is House Organa's capital city. Yeah, and they're a country in and of themselves. But that's kind of also where a lot of the exchange money comes from, in my opinion. Oh yeah, because. The exchange in and of itself, while it was, it was the lifeline of the underworld. Yes. Because you'd have guys who'd come through with product saying, hey, I need to move this product for this is such and such as my client. I need to move 500 pounds of spice. And the exchange would say, okay, we'll help you. For we'll a find, price. We'll find somebody to do this for a price. We'll get you somebody to move it. But we want a cut. Without the exchange to be able to turn the tide, not turn the tide, I guess, <laughs> but without the exchange to be able to turn the eyes of the authorities, or I guess if you're on Coruscant, the Jedi, which is kind of ironic because the Jedi didn't really care. No, they, they were a religious order, not a police force. Because when Plo Koon, back to the episode of the Clone Wars, when Plo Koon and Ahsoka Tano went to the underworld, Plo Koon didn't care about the people around him snorting spice and taking death sticks and well, getting into not. bar brawls. Why would he? Of course not. It's a religion. It's not a police force. He doesn't care because it's not, it doesn't concern him. But Ahsoka was like, uh, let's go. That's on. because Ahsoka has morals, and that's, that's her biggest flaw. Well, her whole character is a flaw, but we won't get into that. But then you have an attack of the clones when Anakin and Obi-Wan go down there. They're all drunkards. They're all doing this. What does Obi-Wan do? Being the badass he is. He walks up to the bar and orders a cup of Jawa juice. Right? He stands there sipping it. Guy offers him death sticks. He's just like, nah, you don't want to sell Go away, sticks. dude. He knew full well what was going on around him, but if it didn't concern the order, he wasn't going to do anything about it. I think we should actually touch on... Uh, the underworld's ability to actually change the course of history in the galaxy a little bit more because I think that doesn't get enough credit. Well, they did. That's how the Rebellion was able to fund most of their weapons. Well, not just the Rebellion. There's several wars that were maybe not won by the underworld, but definitely facilitated the victory. The hyperspace war uh, when the Mandalorians were fighting the Republic... For mm -hmm. instance, the Mandalorians had blockaded several major hyperspace lanes from across, the, you know, transversing the galaxy. Well, they had shut off trade from Revan and his apprentice. Malak. Not Malak. Uh, uh, or not Malak. Mitra Surik. Uh, there we go. Who was on the planet Malakor fighting. Yes. And Revan was waiting to send reinforcements. The Mandalorians They blocked him off. They blockaded. So he couldn't get supplies down to Mitra and her, her forces. But they were able to hire some blockade runners and get some supplies through and allow the forces on the planet to win the battle. Because you think the Mandalorians cared about a freight runner? No. No. They were focused on the Republic ships. Well, and not just that. When the Mandalorians actually blockaded major hyperspace lanes, what happened? 
Well, the the exchange started to get their pocket hit hard. And they don't like that. And they collected <laughs> thousands of ships. And they physically broke the Mandalorian blockade. Mm-hmm. They physically ran through it, which allowed the delivery of not illegal, but mostly legal substances to the forces mostly. of the Republic. <laughs> there were obviously some illegal things. Like, technically, they should not have had the blaster packs. They shouldn't have had weapons. But most of it was just food, supplies, body armor, and the Republic ended up paying handsomely for it because they weren't just paying for the supplies. They were pl- paying for the blockade to be broken. Well, and they Which did. allowed the Republic to win the war. Yeah, they did just that, too. Um, Jango Fett worked for the, uh, the exchange. Yes. Well, and also there was... Uh, Pretty simple fact that during the Sith War, the war against the Sith Empire, in the Old Republic era, most of the intelligence for the Republic in the early war came from the Exchange. And the Exchange also did business with the Empire, the Separatists as well, who Jango also worked for, which put him in league for them. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think Jango was kind of one of the main enforcers of the Exchange. Well, and you know, because he got his hands on weapons, Camino saber darts, a flamethrower, all of these things that are shouldn't un- technically exist. Number one, he's a Mandalorian, right? Number two, he's been to the underworld. You mean he's Mandalore? He is Mandalorian. <laughs> we can get into that right now if you want. I don't think Mandalore is a part of the underworld. Sorry, oh, I didn't say a part of. He's done business with, but. Most absolutely. But it, it it really can't be overstated the power that the Exchange has and the Underworld, even though you may not see it. But the Exchange never really had power over the crime syndicates. Not directly. Because the crime syndicates were the ones who were in part essentially running the Exchange. Right. The, crime, the leaders of the crime syndicates were the ones that were running the Exchange. But the Exchange was running <laughs> the Underworld. Right. Because... I mean, how else are you going to move all of that stuff? Well, and the crime syndicate leaders would come together and leave the crime syndicate stuff aside to run the exchange. Hmm. They were running both. And while you were not in the exchange, you may be incredibly hostile to another crime syndicate who their leaders on the exchange. Yep. And when you go to run the exchange, that stays behind. That is one of the most incredible things about the exchange is the fact that the leaders of the exchange, while being incredibly against other leaders of the exchange, once it was about the exchange, all those things were set aside. Mm-hmm. Now, there were a few cases where that didn't happen, where people in the exchange tried to um, use that power. The Bex and the Volkers from the Old Republic, for instance. Yes. They tried to use the power they, they both, had in the exchange. They both drew money from the Huts, a part of the exchange, to run their gangs. But they hated each other. The Bex and the Volkers hated each and other. And tried to use that influence to kill each other. And, and they did. And it didn't turn out really well. No. <laughs> Everybody ended up dying. But again, when it came time to the exchange, guess what? They, the put, they put their issues aside. 
Well, and anybody who didn't put their issues aside and tried to use that power to win a syndicate war, the rest of the exchange would just absolutely crush them and they would exterminate that crime syndicate because if you allow that once, you would not... The exchange would no longer exist. Well, because they couldn't benefit. Well, because they couldn't benefit, and because if everyone was afraid that they were gonna that somebody was going to betray the exchange, then the exchange no longer functioned. That's when they sent people like Django Fett. Hey, go take go, go take, take care, care of, of this, this guy. Right. Revan just happened to be the one to take care of Terrace's underworld. Right. Because he goes down and he's you know doing business with the Bex and the Volkers, and then they find out and they all hate you for it and. He pretty much dismantles both of them from the inside, like not just dismantles, but had pretty he much not, exterminates. Right, but had he not, the exchange would have eventually come through in the form of probably Cass's Fett or Bendok Starkiller. Yeah, two Mandalorians that worked for the exchange at the time. Um, they would have sent Bendok Starkiller down there, a renowned Mandalorian who fell apart, and the exchange pretty much hired him, saying, "Hey." We know you got essentially kicked out of the Mandalorian clan because you're crazy. Right. But we'll hire you. We like that you're crazy. <laughs> we like that you can take care of business in the underworld while we don't have to be there. And, and he did. And we don't care if you wear your Mandalorian iron. And he still did. He oh, was yeah. He was actually uh, one of the Neo-Crusaders yes. from the Old Republic era. And then you have Kalo Nord. Another renowned bounty hunter from the Old Republic who did business with, major business with the Exchange. He worked for Davit Kang, who was... Which at that time in the universe, it's really rare to have a Mandalorian bounty hunter where they're true Mandalorians. Because most of the time, it's it would be a, a blight against their honor, which is huge in Mandalorian culture. Well, And this, so the Mandalorians stage... who worked for the exchange with the exchange however you want to put it they were generally mandalorians who were kicked out of the mandalorian forces not the mandalorians from the clone wars these are legit mandalorians right these are the guys who fought the good fight against the republic and the sith and each other they're space knights and they're awesome they are they're they're like everybody claims that the jedi are the space knights no 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 the jedi are (laughs) cultists the Mandalorian are space knights. They are honor bound and they are bound to their word. Their honor is their most valuable possession. But I think a part of the other reason is Boba Fett ends up running the exchange, which I'm super excited for the Boba oh, Fett. I'm so excited for that. The book of Boba Fett because I guess, can't wait to see guess I can't who heads the exchange. Tatooine. Guess who's going to head the exchange? In my opinion, this is not fact. Take, take it for a grain of salt. Boba Fett coming back, taking Jabba's seat, saying, if you got a problem, you can leave. Who's going to question him? Number one, people thought he was dead, and the fact they see him up walking around, they're kind of like, oh, God, he's back. <laughs> but my thing is, is after Django Fett, the exchange knew Django very, very well. They, well, knew, right. they, they knew a lot of Fets because after the Mandalorian Wars... Well, he was basically the top bounty hunter in the galaxy. He was, not basically. He was the top bounty hunter in the galaxy. And that's why the exchange kind of had him as the enforcer. So when he dies and Boba Fett rises to power with Bosk and Dengar and Greedo guess, and Ara Singh... I guess it's hard for me to ever say 
someone is the best in the Star Wars galaxy. Boba Fett was. Because there's so much we don't know. There's so many untold stories. But with what we have... Like, Anakin's the most powerful Force user ever, and then you find out that Starkiller... Gave him a heck of a run for his money at, what, 15? That's not canon. <laughs> canon, my butt. Let me tell you something about Starkiller, man. So, so he was, was able to defeat Vader and the Emperor back to back without breaking a sweat. Right, so was Vader the most powerful Force user ever? Not Vader. You said Anakin. Well, Anakin, Vader. Anakin person. versus Starkiller, pre-suit. Anakin gets cut into pieces. No. Just like he did from, oh, no. just like he did from, from Obi-Wan. Okay, that's because he tried to pull Darth Maul, and Obi Wan was like, "Don't do it." I Are mean, you kidding? I you know don't this think trick. Anakin would showboat against Star Killer too. <laughs> but Anakin, okay, Anakin showboated against literally uh, everyone he ever fought. Underworld. And- this is about the underworld. <laughs> don't do this to me. <laughs> All right, but no, you screwed the pooch. So when they start fighting, <laughs> if it was a one-on-one duel, lightsaber v. lightsaber, it would be a very long, drawn-out battle. Yes. I do believe Starkiller would come out victorious for a lot of reasons. Because he, like Revan, was a master of the light and the dark. Anakin's a showboat. Doesn't, That's no, the reason. Showboat aside, physically speaking, Anakin was the more powerful duelist. But Starkiller was trained by Anakin. Starkiller. Darth Vader. Starkiller literally pulled a Star Destroyer out of orbit. Dude, he beat Vader and Palpatine back to back. Right, that's my point. I don't think... He started the rebellion. I don't think Anakin has well, a shot. Padme and Bail Organa and all those people kind of Getting started Getting back it. to the subject at hand, he actually you did used... this to me. He actually used the exchange. He did. To start the rebellion. Yes. Which was... Um, kind of not the way that whole thing was supposed to go. No. Darth Vader wanted to use Starkiller to get the members of the exchange who would be helpful to the rebellion. Well, he did end and up the rebellion up leaders, and killing some of them on Renvar. Quite a few of them actually, but he didn't get rid of all of them. The main ones survived Organa, Mon Mothma, Ramkota, Gar. And Darth Vader collecting those members of the exchange who would be willing to help the rebellion and executing them really did turn a lot of the exchange against the Empire. And that, I was just about to say, that was really dumb on his part. The only reason was because it was out of funding for the rebellion that the exchange was doing through the underworld. Right. Getting them weapons, supplies, vehicles. Oh, and finding places for bases. Because the Bothans, the Bothan species, the wolf-like species... Many Bothans died to bring us this information. (laughs) Uh, the Balthan spies, they were they come from kind of a slummy planet. Yeah. Full of underworlds. So they know the underworld like well, the back there. During hands. the Imperial era, most planets that weren't human majority were, were underworlds. Yeah. Because and, they the Empire was incredibly racist. But him well, yeah. But him uh destroying parts of the exchange is what eventually led to the downfall of the Empire. In my opinion, because oh, yeah. at that point, the exchange is like, dude, the Empire did business with the exchange, so did the it should have been It should have been protected, was their thought. Yeah. Like, the Empire won't come after us because we do so much business for them. You know, when they're short on, star f- or on uh, starship fuel, we come through for them. When they're short on weapons, when they're short on bounty hunters, when they're short on whatever they need, we come through for them. We're protected. 
And it really did make the rest of the exchange realize, oh crap, we're just tools. We're, we're not peers. We, they're using us. And we need to get rid of this government before it takes us out. Yep. And so, really, Starkiller, by collecting a few members of the Underworld who were maybe not supportive of the idea of rebellion, but who were willing to make money off of it. Well, that's all the exchange. That's all the Underworld is. Right. It's a, it's a gambling ring. Well, there's, there's some. There's some honor in the Underworld. Not not honorable people as we might define them, but they have their own code of honor. To a degree, yes, but it was also, in the underworld, it was also, you fend for yourself. You go to a bar and you get drunk and you get robbed, the authorities don't care. Right, but there's also people in the exchange who, they lean, they have politics. They don't like the Empire or they don't like the Republic or they don't like the New Republic. They have their own politics and those people would be willing to negotiate a slightly smaller profit margin if they're willing to, if they're able to help the rebellion. Yeah. Not many, but there would be some. And those were the people that he was finding. I just, I really love... And when those people got attacked by the Empire, the Empire really shot themselves in the foot because they pissed off the rest of the exchange. Well, they already did that when they blew up Alderaan. Well, there's truth to that. But there's a reason that the Empire left the Underworld alone, which is how um, Cassian was able to get the uh, the information about Saul Guerrero and the Rebels yes. in Rogue One. He went to the Underworld. Why? Because, the yeah, the Imperials might have had stormtroopers patrolling, but guess what? They didn't do anything. They didn't have any actual power there. They had no. presence. And the, the Imperials at that point, they were smart because they knew the Underworld had been thriving for thousands of years. They've had time to collect money, guns, all these things, that when the Empire, the Empire sent stormtroopers down to the Underworld to kind of patrol, I mean, they had to be in groups of five or six because they knew well, at any moment they could get killed and someone could take their armor and pretend to be them. Well, and it was presence more than anything. If you actually show force, yeah. If you actually applied applied pressure to the exchange to the underworld as a whole, you would immediately just be mercilessly mercilessly devastated. But you can't let them run free. You have to send in a few troopers every now and again to remind them that hey, this is Coruscant, this is Imperial space. Yeah. But the troopers are going to turn a blind eye to anything illegal they see because if they start firing, it is a war. A galactic war. Dude, it, no, it's not a war. It's the wild, wild west. Well, it, it's the underworld. There it is. <laughs> but if the Empire starts targeting the exchange, all of the hut ships from hut space, all of the, the worlds under hut control, all the worlds under Crimson Dawn control, all the worlds under... Uh, who are the goofy ones with the tall foreheads? Uh, Ithorians? Yes. They... The big uh, whale-like guys with the long ears and eyes? Yeah. Yeah, the Ithorians. They also would have a ridiculous amount of ships, weapons. They could straight up have... They could straight up have a fleet at Coruscant's door if they did that. Yeah. So, the Empire has to be careful. They can't just start shooting. Well, because no. the underworld is ridiculously strong. Well, yeah, because all their funding was still coming from the exchange. Well, and they would because have... they, even though the empire was in power, they were still running spice weapons, death sticks, 
uh, armor illegal well, ships. And the Empire only held power over the over the underworld as a whole, basically because because they were so disunited and infighting. If the Empire had made themselves the main enemy of the of all of those groups, and they were able to put their differences aside for that conflict, the underworld would have crippled the Empire. Yeah, because the underworld had a lot of frigates. The underworld had a lot of you know uh, fighters. They didn't have a lot of capital ships. They had quite a few, but not nearly as many as the imperial forces. Well, and you have a lot of races from other planets that live in the underworld who 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 were in communication with other planets, like saying, "Hey, this is what's happening in our underworld. Our stuff's being tampered with by the Empire." You guys prepare. But, right, but... Like, word, word would spread extremely quick. Oh, absolutely. But the these these people would be... They had such good ties with each other that they could say, this is what's happening, prepare yourself. Right, and not only that, the, the chain of, of... The structure of being able to alert each other, but also the fact that, as we learn from the Rebellion, fighters... And really good fighters like X-Wings do really good against Imperial Star Destroyers. And they come from the underworld because if they found out you were applying for the Alliance Academy, you were uh, a, tra- a traitor at that point. Oh, yeah. So where did all these dealings come from? The underworld. Oh, yeah. Well, and not to mention, had the Empire turned the underworld against them, they would have been able to wipe out most Star Destroyer fleets just because the Imperial Navy was designed in really an incompetent way. Well, not incompetence. They were so spread out across all the planets that they controlled. No, it was absolutely incompetence, and we can get into that next week. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, guys. That's all we have today. Bit of bit of info on the Underworld. Kind of one of the more obscure parts of the Star Wars galaxy, but... Doesn't get enough love. It doesn't. And I think it should. But that's all we have. And uh, can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Have a wonderful day. Hey, everybody. Quick shout out to Dream Elixir Studios for the beautifully, beautifully done intro and outro. Uh, Go check them out. Dream Elixir Studios. I had uh, an idea for what I wanted for the intro and outro and just kind of gave them my general consensus on what I wanted and they were able to piece together these excellent clips. So go check them out.